Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I am your host, Brett McGrath. Turn it up. Friday. You know what that means. I got my man, Darren Herman. You might know him at Midlife Crisis Cards back on the freaking pod. We are going to be talking a lot about collectors, their place in the hobby, what to do when the money comes in, what's going on, where are we headed. Darren has a lot of good perspective. I've been enjoying watching his collecting and watching his stories and what he has to say about what's happening in the hobby. You like what I'm doing over here. You can do all the things that everyone else tells you to do, but most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. I'm excited for this conversation. We have a repeat guest. It's been a while since my guest has been on the show, but since then we've met in real life and uh, we've definitely exchanged uh, enough messages and he is binge collecting one of my PC players, Peyton Manning. So we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about just the hobby, the state of the hobby, kind of where it's at changes that have happened over the last couple of years. Um, And like I have been doing with a lot of these conversations, definitely talk about the topics from the perspective of the collector. But without further ado, I'll shut up. Darren, welcome. How are you? My gosh, Brett, it's awesome to be back. I I think I comment on every one of your podcasts, whether you like it or not. But I've been listening, listening for a while now and and is super excited to be here and chat. Perfect. Okay. So before we like dive into the topics, there's a bunch of like just Stuff I want to just get out there before we hit record. You were showing me a bunch of Peyton stuff. You have moved in to collecting Peyton Manning at a high volume, high clip. Um, I love the passion behind it. Maybe just like share a little bit about like the why behind you moving into Peyton, and then just like how much fun you're having. So I'm 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 binging right now. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta pull me out of this hole. Um, the uh, so I'm having a lot of fun with Peyton Manning. Now, where it comes from is first and foremost, you know, I, I would call myself a, a, a collector. I wouldn't even put investor into it, um, although I do invest as my day job. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm first and foremost a collector. And so when I collect, it's, it's, it's usually either around like art and cards coming together or it's around players that I have some affinity to. And to be honest, I've, I've spent most of my journey back in this world of, of, of sports cards around basketball. Um, you know, uh, that's where I spent most of my time. Um, but then I realized like, all right, well, there's other players I do like in other sports, um, that I grew up with and Peyton was one of them. And, and when I look back, uh, I can time it perfectly six years ago. Um, we moved to the, my, my, we moved up to Boston from New York. And what was the first thing I did? I, I bought a signed, uh, Jersey from, from Peyton uh, it was framed at the time as his Broncos jersey, totally inscribed with like, you know, Super Bowls, yards, touchdowns, et cetera, and autographed. Where is it? In my son's room. So when he moved into the house, I came up first and then they all 
my wife and kids moved in after, um, when he came up to the house, there was a huge Peyton Manning autographed jersey in his bedroom waiting for him the minute he came here. And, and why did I do that? Because I grew up with Peyton. I thought he was fantastic. And I learned about different athletes through my parents uh, and, and other influences in my life. And my son does so too. He's, he's got a lot of his own influences too, but I wanted him to grow up with Peyton. That's what kind of led me back to Peyton growing up with him, you know, seeing him all over Monday night football now, or, you know, with Eli, I uh, grew up in New York. And so we had Eli, we had smiles as our quarterback who, <laughs> you know, uh, it's amazing in New York. Uh, you know, you could win Super Bowls and still have the fans turn against you. And like, I would say Eli was one of the most disliked athletes in New York, which is fascinating because he did fairly well when you look at his career, but New York kind of rejected him as the quarterback. Kind of fascinating. The arc rejects everyone, I think, when it's all said and done. Yeah, there's not many people. You use the word affinity to describe kind of a connection you had with Peyton, which I think is a powerful word and uh, really like signifies maybe just like the direction of a lot of the collectors and the hobby and a lot of collectors who've been here for a while through like your Peyton collecting. There is, I have met so many other Peyton collectors just in the space. Have you like been observing, interacting, or learning anything from just like the Peyton Manning collecting community as you've jumped headfirst in? It's amazing, Brett. You know, the community is is really strong around Peyton. Like I have I have rarely seen that uh, even in the basketball community. Um, you know, I think for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, the the hardcore football collectors. Uh, are hardcore football collectors. Uh, there are a lot of people that were collecting Peyton over the years and weren't flipping it at you know 100x you know returns. Whereas in basketball, the communities are are quite often driven by the returns, um, and so there's a lot of passion and enthusiasm. Um, and usually, nobody just has like one Peyton. <laughs> so when you start to peel back the onion, um, there's some amazing cards in in uh, in in some of these collections and. You know, you get to experience them via Instagram or TikTok or, you know, uh, a Flickr if someone's got, you know, uploaded pictures or even you get to see them at shows. Um, and uh, that's awesome. You get to like go through someone's, you know, cards at a, at, a, at, a, at a large show, small show, medium show, whatever. And you get to see a ton. And so I think like the Peyton collectors are like super real. They're down to earth. Uh, you know, Peyton somehow ring, you know, rings true to these folks. The one thing that I was told though, by a really uh, uh, intelligent Peyton collector um, was that Peyton signs a lot. Uh, and so it's not necessarily always the autograph cards to go after because there's going to be a lot more autograph cards. Although I do have a fair share of autos, but there are some other interesting Peyton cards that aren't autos that are also super interesting to go for. You're getting a good education. I, I like how the, the collecting community is looking after you. So you, you said that like your day job, you invest. And so when you come into the hobby, it's more like, this is fun time. And I think this is like, and I'm, you, you collect, I think this is probably a little bit about like where we'll dive in just to the conversation where so much of the hobby over the last two years and just like the bull run has been about like investing in these commodity cards and the market going up and then the market crashing. And then collectors are somewhere looking at all of the things happening, just kind of doing their thing, just continuing to 
buy cards that they want. So that's kind of like the backdrop of the conversation. But like you posted something on your story last night, I think. And I, I thought this was like, I, I saw it last night and I was like, this is a good thing to maybe lead the conversation with. But you you put out PSA out and not PSA, the grading company, but a public service announcement. I um, mean, you said it's okay for Mark. And this is good because I think you'll be able to use like maybe some of your professional mindset to like share a little bit about where you're coming from. But it said, you said, it's okay for markets to decline. It wouldn't be a market if it continued to go up. Going down is healthy. Some cards, player sets will go down more than others. Relax. If we believe in the long term of the hobby, we will be okay. But if you overspent on poor or mediocre cards, that's on you. And this may be, this may sting. Use it as a learning lesson. Don't pay $500 for a prism gold of someone who puts up seven points and 2.3 assists. So that, that like, that resonated with me. Um, maybe like talk a little bit about where that was, where you, where you were coming from when you posted that. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. So my day job is to invest um, and I invest in private companies uh, or public companies when we bring them private. And so I've, we have uh, uh, the place I work, we have funds uh, and our funds are based on strategy. And so the key word I just said there is strategy um, because you have to understand your strategy in order to go invest. Because if you're investing without a strategy, you got problems. <laughs> because you should have a strategy and you should stick to that r- r- strategy. Now, some strategies are super risky strategies. Some of them are non-risk, de-risk strategies. Where I work uh, and, and what I do, where I'm a partner, you know, we have a balanced strategy. And so what I mean by that is if you were to take 10 assets, you can call them cards, cars, wine, whatever. You take 10 assets. Um, we're going to have some of them be super risky. We're going to have some of them be very little risk. There's always some risk, but it's very little risk. You're going to have some down in the middle. Uh, and so you know, you're basically hedging your high risk with your very low risk. And some are going to balance each other out and everything else. And if you believe that over time, markets appreciate, you should do okay. Um, and so, you know, that's a portfolio approach, a balanced portfolio approach. There's many other strategies to deploy. So what I saw, you know, coming back into the card space, 2019, 2020, there are people that are absolutely buying less risky assets, you know, an 85 Fleer Jordan or, you know, an exquisite LeBron, so on and so forth. You know, those are, well, I, I, I don't know, I use the term like the Mount Rushmore of sports cards. You know, now you've got probably like a, a, a you know Mickey Mantle in there. You know, it's not just modern cards. You know, Mickey Mantle. You can put a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, Lou Alcindor cards. Like, what would be in the Mount Rushmore of the United States? Take that to sports cards, and you know that's a strategy. But then I was starting to see, you know, a lot of speculating, and speculating's not bad. But if your strategy is to de-risk or have little risk and your entire portfolio is speculation, there's uh, a mismatch there. Um, and so what I mean by speculation was, you know, you got a lot of people paying quite a bit of money, hundreds of dollars for, you know, the eighth man off the bench, or, you know, even the seventh man off the bench, or even the starter who's, you know, putting up non-Hall of Fame numbers. And so what felt a little off to me was that, I was looking at Hall of Famers, kind of like, Brett, what you're talking about with football. You know, there's Hall of Famers that are like, you can get for $150, $200. But then there's like, you know, the seventh man off the bench 
who's selling for $1,200 or, 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 or $3,600. And why, like why? Uh, and there's a huge imbalance. And I think, you know, where we are in today's market is that imbalance between, you know, the pure speculation of someone who's not going to make that hall of fame and, uh, you know, the traditional hall of famer was kind of coming into like a rebalancing uh, moment. And that rebalancing moment is healthy, very healthy. I think there are a lot of people in cards right now that don't own uh, or haven't been around for market cycles and stocks or bonds or, or funds or so on and so forth. And sports cards may be their first tradable asset. Technically not an asset, but let's just go with it as, a, as an asset. And so, you know, they've only been part of this game for, you know, five years. And the only thing that's happened in five years is we've gone up. And if things never went down, then it would never be a market. And so th- what we're going through is healthy in, in a financial perspective. It may not be healthy for you if you speculated a lot on tier B or C or D players. You know, that's, that's on you because you did that. But you know, if you hold on long enough, there's a possibility that some of those cards will rise back up. If you've concentrated on you know, cream of the crop real estate, if you've, if you've concentrated on you know, players that are on the Mount Rushmore, you should have less uh, of the volatility. I think it was uh, Chris uh, from Card Ladder who had a great post up yesterday. Uh, well, Josh had one too. But Chris, it was either yesterday or two days ago, uh, and I was going back and forth with Chris. Chris was showing me data around the market. I think everyone was got to see it on his Instagram stories. And he was showing all the players and sort of the sell-offs that are happening and the declines. But the one player who wasn't, who's just like straight, plus or minus just a tiny bit of volatility, Michael Jordan. And like I called it to Chris, I was like, that's the Jordan index. And Jordan, you know, you're not going to make a ton, you're not going to lose a lot. And it's kind of just like a slow and steady increase just over time. And but then you've got, you know, other players that are kind of so volatile up and down and up and down that balance out the Jordan index. I think like the collector in the hobby, the person who has been here for years, or maybe even the person who has come in during kind of the bull run and made a bunch of mistakes, but loves it so much and has a connection and learned through these mistakes and is still here and maybe have pivoted from like an invest investor type to now more of a collector. I think like, I think about just the different iterations and of myself even going through this process and figuring out and zoning in on like what I really want and love. And when we talk about like growing the hobby and just the growth of just what's happening in general, I think we've definitely seen some attrition with people who came in because it was a shiny object, lost money because stuff went down and and left. Um, But then you've also had like the collector who's just kind of sitting in their corner um, collecting their cards, buying cards, maybe communicating a little bit with the community, but at the end of the day, it's an escape. So I don't know, like on your end, we the market in debt general and like the indexes are definitely like down. Like I see it to me as someone who's like committed to this hobby as as opportunity to a buying opportunity because I'm a long game player or consider myself a long game player. How do you? It's hard to describe to someone like what you just said, and you got to be in it for the long run in order to like 
see things appreciate like a Michael Jordan card, but like, do you have any like thoughts or advice around like how, like, I feel like education is important, but like, how do we begin to like communicate and educate around like the long term of the hobby? Because so much of it and so much that is being built right now is around like the immediate gratification, like short term flipping, which is not necessarily bad, but it just seems like so much of the hobby is optimized around that. I mean, I don't know if this is a popular opinion, but I'll, I'll offer one. I don't think it's popular, which is why I say that is, you know, what we're learning in the hobby isn't new. Like if you, if you look at assets like homes or apartments or cars, maybe some types of cars, um, if you look at like wine futures, if you look at, you know, any type of asset, we can learn from other industries and apply it to sports cars. And so what I mean by that is let's just take real estate. I'm not a real estate agent, so don't, you know, take it for that, but I've studied real estate. I own real estate. Uh, and we invest as a fund into real estate. So we know a little bit. And there's a lot of history to real estate. And so, you know, where's the most expensive real estate you can buy? Generally, the beachfront real estate, or it's smack in the middle of a major metropolitan, you know, city like in New York or in LA. Um, and so history continues to repeat itself with real estate, right? So, you know, if you were to go into a market, and someone were to ask, if you went to a brand new market and someone were to ask you, where's the most expensive home in the market? You probably could answer that question without even having even been to that market before, which is like, show me the water and let me walk the street and I'll point it out. Or show me the major metropolitan city. Let me walk it for 10 minutes and then I'll point to the building where the most you know, uh, expensive real estate is. And that real estate usually over time doesn't go down. You know, if at worst it's flat, um, as long as you don't pay too much for it. Like, you know, there's the whole, you know, what you buy it for. And same with other asset classes. And it's similar in sports car. Um, you know, there are certain players, there are certain sets, there are certain years that, you know, if you invest in at, and you get in at a, you know, a reasonable dollar amount that over a time horizon, it should appreciate. Now, we've witnessed incredible appreciation <laughs> over a two-year or three-year or four-year window within the sports card industry, but that is, I believe, an outlier. Um, it's not a, a you know, not a, that, that, that view is not appreciated by many people, but I believe what we've seen has been an outlier and is a confluence of many things happening at the same time. One, uh, we were all home for at least a couple of years. And all of us reached back to some memory or pastime that we all loved to give us comfort in a time of trauma, essentially, because we didn't really know what was going on. Some of us had families and kids. Some of us don't. Like we, it was a traumatic period for a lot of us because we didn't know what was happening with you know, the pandemic. And what gives us comfort? Well, people get comfort in all different ways. We had a lot of time. And so going up to our attic or down to our basements and going to find, you know, these cardboard, uh, you know, cardboard was, was a release for a lot of us. And then it brought us back to happy times as children. Um, so that's one. Second is we had money. Um, you know, the pandemic accelerated the amount of inflow to, to Americans' homes quite dramatically. Folks that weren't working were getting checks. People that were working were getting checks. 
um, and there is a ton of excess cash in America over the last two years. And we've seen this from a work perspective where you know people pulled forward many purchases um, during uh, the pandemic, specifically things like furniture, um, things like ATVs and sports equipment, you know, things that usually is a, a larger purchase and a longer time horizon. Well, people were buying those left. You couldn't buy a couch for basically a year, year and a half in America because everyone was sold out of this. Um, and so there's a lot of cash. And so what were people doing at home? They're treating, you know, some of their, some, not everybody, but people are treating like stimulus checks or other ex, excess cash, not just stimulus checks, but excess cash because you weren't going out for dinner, like you could spend it. Um, and so what were we doing? We're buying like many people treated it like lottery tickets. You know, I can't go to the store to buy, you know, the New York lottery ticket, but I can go online and buy a flawless case with my stimulus money and play for, you know, a $40,000 LeBron card or $60,000, you know, Luca card or whatever. I'm just making that up. But, you know, some people started to do that and guess what happened? You know, more and more people started to do that. And then there was, you know, people were hearing like, wow, I turned, you know, a hundred dollars into a thousand dollars or I turned a thousand dollars into $15,000. And what does that do? That brings people in because they're curious. And then we started to get national news attention. Like, how many articles came out during the pandemic about, you know, this card sold for record-breaking price. And this usually in, in, in publicity, you know, you always say, you know, when, you're, when your mother or father hear about something, you know, it's kind of jumped the shark. You know, I was going on Zooms with family members that have no business with sports cards saying, Darren, I know you're in sports cards. You have that $65,000 LeBron. I'm like, how'd you know that was $65,000? They said, oh, we read about that in the paper. I'm like, first of all, I don't have it. And second, um, it's kind of crazy that you read about that in like the, the newspaper. Um, and so a lot of people started to jump in. And anytime that alpha is being created or returns are being created, there's some people that really don't care about the asset classes, but they'll come in with a smart strategy. They'll get in, uh, they'll make some money. And as quickly as they came in, they'll leave. Um, because what they're doing is they're going and looking for alpha. And those are, you know, traders, like day traders. Um, day traders don't care what they're buying. They just care that they're going to make money in that day. And so is that bad? No. You know, it's not my thing, but is that bad? I don't think it's bad. I think in moments of that, you have to sort of realize what's going on and you have to be super careful with where you're placing your bets and really kind of go back to kind of like, for me, it was stick to the Mount Rushmore. Um, because you know, you're not going to get as hurt having that. You may even do okay when people are coming in and around the side. Um, and so that was my strategy. That's how I saw the last few years playing out. And I think what's kind of awesome right now is some of that, you know, high alpha generation, you know, the day traders sort of coming in are kind of moved on. Um, and there's more shiny things for them to go by. You know, we're, we've seen them, you know, many of those, that community. Some call it the Reddit community. Some don't call it the Reddit community. Whatever it is, you know they're into you know NFTs and 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 uh, crypto and in other areas. Um, but does that mean they're not coming back? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they come back and maybe they buy some of my cards. Um, but um, I think you know right now we're seeing the the rebalancing in the market because the fast money's kind of out, and uh, we're seeing you know the new normals and those new normals will be reestablished over the next few months. Uh, and then, you know, 
as long as you're in for the long term, you should be okay. When I say long term, you got you got to have multi year time horizons uh, and be okay with what you have. Sorry so, for the long answer, Brad. No, no, I just no, that, gave you a lot there. Yeah, no, that was good. So basically, what I heard from you was no, no market is perfect, including our our market, which is the hobby. And um, COVID definitely changed a lot of things. And uh, people came in who really didn't care about cards, but were seeking opportunity and alpha uh, money along the way. And those people have since left. Uh, not all of them, but some. I- I'm curious, just like with this like Reddit mafia concept, and I I can't think of like here here Reddit now, and can't think of like GameStop and the arbitrage that happened yeah. with with GameStop. But you know, when people were spending the money that they were on prison base and the Luca was trading for $2,000 uh, PSA 10. And now it's, I think at 400, I think Chris said that on the last episode that definitely like, if you've been here and you were new to the hobby and you saw that all the way through and you're still here, hopefully you like learn something from that experience. But I, I guess like, I'm interested to learn kind of just like from the collector point of view, like, what, what kind of negative impact does that have to the people that view the hobby like we talked about before we hopped on? It's just kind of like it's our escape away from work. It's like where we go to meet friends. It's a way to where we go connect with something sentimental. To what it gives us a reason to go to a hobby shop. Like what 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 does that type of like arbitrage do to the community of collectors? Nothing. A lot. Like share some perspective there. I think it can hurt. You know, I think it can hurt. Like, you know, if you bought it, even collectors, you know, no, no investor or collector will always make the right decision. We're humans. I mean, humans don't always make the right decision no matter what. My wife will tell you, I don't always make the right decision. Um, but with that said, you know, there are, there, I bet every single one of us listening to this podcast, you know, has a card that at one moment in time, was 10x or 5x today than, than what it was, than what it is right now. And, you know, do we regret it? I don't know. Maybe some of us do. Do we love the card? I don't know. Maybe some of us do. I think, you know, Chris says it really well. I, I subscribe to it. You know, Chris, the last episode, Card Ladder, I subscribe to it too. Just buy what you love. If you buy what you love, you're not going to get hurt. You may not make the money you think you're going to make, but if you still own the card, uh, and you still love that card, then you know you shouldn't be that hurt. It's like art. Um, I, I I I got into art at a young age. I collect a lot of art. In my home, we have, we have lots of art. And but the number of, my art mentor uh, once said to me is, forget the artist, fall in love with the painting. If you fall in love with the art, doesn't matter who it is, and just buy it because uh, you got to look at it. And chances are that that piece of art is not going to be worth much. Uh, you know, at your estate sale, you know, 80 years down the line, but that's okay. Because if you spent 80 years absolutely loving the piece, then you got everything you need out. Um, And, and so I think that, you know, uh, some people are going to get hurt a little bit. I think some people, you know, and and that's unfortunate. Um, You know, I I wish that many people don't, Um, but we learn. Uh, And so, you know, we try to minimize the, the losses on the next time around. Um, and you know, we go from here and if you're in it for the long run, you're going to hold your pieces or trade them. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we'll look back and, and say, hmm, that was annoying, but we got through it. 
It was kind of like the junk wax era. We all thought we had great wax. Um, you know, looking back 20 years, 30 years from then, um, you know, wasn't so great. But, you know, I'm sure we all love the Griffies that we all have. Totally. And one thing I want to like, you, you said this, but I don't want to gloss over it. And one thing that I think is really underrated in the hobby that we don't do an, a good enough job talking about, and you mentioned it in your art example, is this the utility value that we get out of the cards that we buy. So it's this idea of that mail day coming in, right? It's in being in between meetings and picking up a card and looking at it and appreciating it, it being your card, you having it for a while and not looking at it for six to maybe months to maybe even a year and you pulling it back out and remember the buying process and the acquisition, like that stuff doesn't get talked about. Like all that gets talked about is just like, okay, what you bought card for and then what you sold card for, which to me is boring. So I don't know, like, it seems to me that like the utility value that we get from cards is um, one of those collector driven topics that somewhere in the depths of like the collecting community, like, as I mentioned this, I'm sure there are people out there being like, oh yeah, I, I, I feel that like, that's a topic I think is cool, but gets lost somewhere. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Cause you mentioned that in just your art example, like don't just buy the artist, buy the painting. Cause you, cause you love it and you're going to stare at it and appreciate it. I'll give you like three examples. Um, and feel free to cut me off if you don't like the examples, but I'll start with you. Um, so for the listeners, and sorry if I'm oversharing, feel free to cut this out. Um, but for the listeners, um, I have a I have a business uh, that we're invested in in Indianapolis, and, and Brett's based in Indianapolis. And I knew that I was coming out to Indianapolis to go visit this portfolio company, and I pinged Brett, you know, Stacking Slabs, Brett, a few weeks before I knew I was coming out, and I said, or I knew I was coming out a few weeks before I got there, and I said, hey, do you mind meeting up? Like it would be cool. I've been on the show before, you know, big fan. I comment almost every day on your stuff. Brett probably thought, oh my God, a group he's coming. I can't, I can't hang out with this guy. What's this guy going to be like? And uh, we got breakfast. And uh, the day before, actually, before I even got there, I asked Brett, like, what LCS should I hit up, you know, coming to Indianapolis? And, and so he, he mentioned the ball card exchange um, and uh, told me where to go and, you know, how to get there. And I went by myself. I, I scheduled, I had an open afternoon, I had a window in my afternoon. I went there and I introduced myself to the owner, said that Brett from Stacking Slab sent me. And, uh, you know, this is the store that I got to check out in Indianapolis. And then immediately I felt like, you know, a connection to the store um, because it was referred by Brett. And then, you know, as I was, as I finished like going through the store and I got a special tour and they treated me like royalty um, and I bought some cards. Uh, but then on my way out, I was like, you know, I'm in Indianapolis. I really never come to Indianapolis and I'm a Peyton, you know, I, I've got a Peyton jersey in my son's room. I don't own a Peyton card. So I went to Andy, the CEO of, or the head of Indy Card Exchange. And I was like, what's the best Peyton you have in the store? And uh, I picked up this undergrads card, um, which I thought was real, or no, it was a rookie's card. And uh, I picked that up. And then, so I went to breakfast the next morning and I was like, Brett, I went to the store yesterday and, uh, you know, here, 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 like the five, five or six cards that I bought. And one of them was that Peyton card. And so, you know, this story of that particular Peyton card ties back to Brett and this amazing experience that I had in the ball card exchange in Indy that, you know, to this day, I probably go back and forth with uh, the owner of that store at least a couple of times a week. I'm still buying from the store, even from here. 
Um, and it was just an amazing relationship that you know, it's, it's super intangible. And so I love that kind of you know, story behind the card. I won't give you three. I'll give. Can I comment yeah. on that, Darren? So I appreciate you sharing the story. I think there's something there that I just want the audience to understand because it happens and I want to call it out explicitly. The fact that we knew each other and I made a recommendation, you went and visited, you made a purchase, you're continuing to make purchase, money is being exchanged. And this is all happening because I'm assuming at some level through our interactions, I, you've earned my, like, there's a trust thing going 100%. on. Where so like, that is the thing that is so damn powerful in this hobby that I think whatever happens, whatever the next shiny object is, whatever the next trend is, like, undeniably, like the building of relationships and the referrals and the trust transfers from collector to collector. And then the revenue that happens on the other side of that, like it's unstoppable. And that's what makes this hobby go. And I feel like just as a community, we, we, I don't neglect, maybe not might be the wrong word, but we just don't pay attention to those exchanges enough because I think let's like, you might have, Andy might have a customer for life, for, yeah. from you, for you, just because like I said, go, go visit his store. And I, I just think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the trust factor is huge and, you know, we get to interact with you, whether you realize it or not, sort of asynchronously twice a week, you know, every episode you put out, you know, it's interesting. It's like an asynchronous trust because I'm learning about you more than you're learning about me. Right. And it's kind of weird if you think of it that way, but it's kind of fascinating. The second one is, I'd say, about curation. And what I mean about curation, and so I, I could use you as an example. I'm not, because I, I just used you as an example. Another one is someone who I did not know coming into uh, getting back into collecting sports cards. It's uh, the Instagram uh, handle is basketball card guy. And I didn't know who this guy was. I started to, to get to know him through, uh, he was on Loop. Uh, he's on Whatnot. He does these like curated sales. And I started to really get to know him because I bought a couple of his cards and we were trading emails. And it turns out we have like a similar history of entrepreneurship and business and so on and so forth. Met him also. <laughs> or I think I went to his office and, and checked out his collection. And oh my gosh, he's that's quite the collection there of basketball cards. And uh, to this day, um, you know, I, I meet up with him at shows and we do shows together. Uh, we talk weekly, if not daily. Uh, we're talking about different cards. Um, but what I appreciate most about John, basketball card guy, is his curation aspect of what he does. He is highly thoughtful with how he curates what he owns. And so when he does like a loop sale or a whatnot sale, um, I feel so comfortable buying from him uh, that it's like cards that were highly thoughtful to him that he's now selling. Uh, and so I have like a, a, a Prism Mojo Steph Curry autograph card that I will never part with. But I bought it from John. I bought it from Basketball Card Guy um, because it was part of his PC. I was able to acquire it. But now that card is not Midlife Crisis cards or Darren Herman's card. That was like my Basketball Card Guy's card in my own collection. Yeah. And that was like a piece of him in my collection. And as a collector... I think that's super cool. So at like one level, I've got the trust of like Brett and stacking slabs going into his store that he recommend. Well, 
his buddy store that he recommends that I go check out and go buy some cards from. On another side is the curation aspect of people who I look up to as collectors, because if he owned it, I kind of want to own that because the, the vintage of that is so amazing when you think about. And then the third is this area of the hobby that I'm in that n- doesn't get a lot of love, but it's the art card side of the hobby. You can call it a hobby or not. I don't know if it's earned its respect um, as, as that, which are basically you know artists that take real cards, any sport, and then either mash them up or color them or design them or do you know, unique things. And to be honest, they may never be worth a dime, but they're really cool from an art perspective. And so I got in contact with this one card artist who's fairly well known. And I, I told that he's like, what, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, my favorite basketball cards are the early 90s skybox with the, the, the white backgrounds and the colors and the, the geometric circles and stars. I think it's like 92 or 93 skybox series. And I said, let's take the inspiration from 92 Skybox and, and let's do Nikola Jokic, who's one of my favorite big men in, in basketball. And so he put together this amazing one-of-one Nikola Jokic 92-inspired Skybox card and sent it to me. And I have it now up in, up in my big case. And, and, uh, and so that side of the collecting is like co-creation, like we created this thing together. Now he has all the art chops. I don't have art chops whatsoever, but I had a little bit of a vision of what I wanted to see. And JJ Vinti was able to manifest that in an amazing way. And so like between like trust and curation and then co-creation, like the hobby is super fulfilling um, in, in many ways. And, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, independent of each other. All of those could be dependent. And I can probably, you know, say the same story, just using you, Brett, as an example, not using three different people as an example, like one person can cross all of those. And so, you know, I was actually, I was talking to someone earlier today. It's like the deeper you get into the hobby and sort of the, the deeper the relationships get and the more that those things happen. And, uh, and, and that's what I absolutely love about this space. I was talking to my wife about that recently. She's like, how do you spend so much time doing that? I'm like, cause I'm learning about people. I'm, you know, just as much as I'm talking about a card, I'm talking about life with some other person uh, and learning about things together and we're uncovering things. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, the, I love the response. Um, I love the triad, the collector triad that you kind of put together there. One of the points that I want to touch on is just this curation component. And I love like how you described the basketball card guy and what he does. And as a matter of fact, I, I like I think I took to Instagram this morning and asked people like who tells good stories. And I believe your response, you recommended um, him as a good storyteller in the hobby. When we advance to this area of like maturation and collecting, it's not just about just buying a bunch of cards and what I'm going to buy, what I think is going to go up. It's more or less like curating a collection that is not only satisfying to you, but that you can share outwardly and tell stories behind the cards. And I feel like, I gravitate to those pages on uh, Instagram where people aren't, it could be any card. I don't, I don't care the value, but someone is with their heart and soul expressing why they bought this card, what it means to them and like demanding your attention. And that's the part of the hobby that I love is just like the storytelling. And I don't care who it is you collect. I could even dislike the player, 
But if you care about the player that much that you're willing to pin uh, an essay on what that means to you, I think that's pretty cool. So I'm not the only one who feels passionately about people who do that. A lot of people do. However, that content, I don't think meshes well with the kind of investment content and like this arbitrage Reddit mafia stuff. Not saying one is better than the other. I prefer one over the other. But do you think like just with those two examples, like do you think like we need to stop thinking about just the hobby as the hobby and need some like better segmentation around each of these groups? Or do you think it should just kind of be like as is and just go with the flow? Um, let people be upset with other people because they don't view the hobby in the way they do. I'm just curious. I think a lot about segmentation, not necessarily segregation, but just segmentation around interests and servicing those interests. So I think the hobby has you know multiple layers of segmentation. I know you're in marketing and I'm in marketing. And so we dive down deep into you know audience segmentations. You know, one segment are like you know flippers, you know, one segment are, are investors. One segment are hardcore collectors and so on and so forth. But that's not to say that a hardcore collector also can't be a flipper. You know, it's not to say that a, you know, an investor can also be a flipper or a, or a collector. I think that there's room for everybody. And I think that there's, there's content that's created for all the individual segments. The, the most beautiful thing or the worst thing actually we have now are algorithms that, you know, uh, that feed us. Uh, content. You know, there's the whole social dilemma around that. You could read about that. I think the Atlantic just put out a really fascinating piece on uh, Facebook and the algorithms and what fa- what the algorithms have done to this past decade and uh, what that means for future decades from now. It's kind of scary. But what that now means too is that algorithms are feeding us this content. So if I start to read content about flipping and you know, prism golds and, you know, what's the latest thing to go by, which I do read some of them. I'm not saying I don't, I do read that or watch that or, you know, consume that algorithm to start to feed a ton of that to me. Like that's all I'm going to start to see from TikTok or Instagram and so on and so forth. Um, and al- as algorithms get more targeted, you're going to see a ton of that content. And so sometimes it's hard to get outside of that filter bubble is technically what it's called to go experience other stuff. Um, and so, you know, I think what's healthy uh, and I'm not, I'm not preaching, so different people can define healthy different ways. I think what's healthy is you have a little bit of a lot of different things. And when you can learn from not only the, the, the viewpoints that you agree with, but also the viewpoints that you may not on the face agree with, but you want to hear it out so that you can make your own educated decisions. And so yeah, that's probably where I'd come in on that. Um, I think there's room for all of us, uh, whether it's the hobby, the business, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, different people are going to play a different stratosphere. You know, some people are going to fly under the radar. Some people are going to be, you know, front and center. And there's going to be everything and everything in between. And I think that's ultimately healthy. And, uh, you know, the more different types of people, the more different types of bankroll, the more different types of segmentation of players, teams, et cetera, that's all healthy. And so the one thing I I would wish upon for, you know, the, the hobby is just a fresh, new class of people coming in every year and, uh, you know, coming in and getting educated. Some people will stick around, some will leave, but, uh, the best thing that we can hope for is just some new people entering it every year to keep it healthy uh, and keeping the numbers up as, as we start to grow. 
I love it. Let's round it out with this, Darren. And maybe I'm just in my own little collector bubble these days, not paying attention to all the noise that's happening. Um, but it seems to me that the hobby, while things, not every, not every class of cards and every sport might be going to the moon, like we're not there. We're, that is not the period we're in. But I'm finding because we're not in that period, I'm enjoying the hobby even more. I don't know if it's less loud voices. I don't know if it's just me being tucked away with a group of people who collect kind of like I collect and we're learning from each other, but it, it just doesn't seem like it was when I got back in the hobby where everything was going to the moon. I don't want to speak on behalf of the hobby, but in, in the collecting community, but I would, I would imagine a lot of people would, would kind of take that point of view and agree with it. What do you think just as a collector base, people who are in it for the escape, what, what do you think we can do just to stay in that zone and kind of not let some of these outside forces and things that happen, alpha money, arbitrage, all these things that come and go, like what can, what can we do maybe to like avoid that or not that, not let that negatively impact kind of our, our overall hobby experience? I think it's to truly understand your why. Why are you in it? What are you doing? And, and I think there's like so many different reasons why people come in. And if you understand why you're in it and you can stay away from, you know, the stuff that may, you know, may feel really bad to you, may not be bad to somebody else. And so once you truly understand your why, you've got your place. Uh, and if you don't know your why, then spend some time thinking about it. You know, for me, I came back as my kids came back. <laughs> I, I came back as my kids got in. Let's put it that way. They didn't come back. They got in. And then that was like, oh my gosh, opening packs and going to card shows and buying like. I miss this. And then I brought back all the memories and the feels as a kid. And then I'm now sharing that with my kids. It's, it's amazing to pass that on. And then all of a sudden I made new friends that I not made new friends from you and others. And, you know, it's, it's been incredible. And, and so, you know, once you figure out your why, then it's an easy way to, you know, position yourself and stay grounded in times of dislocation. I appreciate that perspective. And I'm going to ask you a question, not quite like, get you off the hot seat yet. We're only in round two. I know you're a big NBA guy. Sorry, your Knicks aren't in the playoffs. My Pacers aren't anywhere close either. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm curious to know as we enter round two, and we've had some games as we've recorded this, what, what's your prediction? Like, what, what do you see? What, what do you like in right now? What do you kind of see as an NBA finals? I don't know. I mean, it's a little all over the place. You know, there's so many injuries that are impacting uh, the NBA right now. I thought the 76ers would be the team um, that would surprise us all. I kind of wrote them all off. I don't like what I saw out of Golden State yesterday, but you know they came back and yes, they won the game, but uh, I didn't necessarily like that. I want to see Memphis do extremely well. They're young, they're talented, they're fun, they're dynamic, they're <laughs> the card prices of Ja, you know, <laughs> represents all of that. But he's amazing to watch. You know, the thing I hear about from everybody was, have you seen how high he jumps? Like, you know, there, I think there's some really fascinating storylines across the board. Selfishly, you know, I live just outside of Boston, and so I want to see the Celtics make it. They've got a tough matchup right now, but I think they can. I think if they can get through this round, they can beat. If they can beat the Bucks, I think they're straight to the finals. And I think, you know, I personally, I think we're going to see a Warriors-Celtics finals, and uh, I don't know how to call it from there. I think the Warriors have a slight advantage because they've played together as a core for not only a few many seasons, but 
many seasons with NBA championships. And so they've been in the big game. They've done it as a team, the core three, Draymond, Clay, Steph. Those guys have been together forever. And so I think that gets an advantage in a big game where, you know, there's lots of butterflies in the stomach, et cetera. But Tatum, Brown, Horford, Smart, et cetera. Mark is smart, yeah. Like those guys are, you know, they're strong. Tatum's still young. Brown's still young. And, you know, they got a lot of deep learnings uh, within the playoffs. But I don't know. I, I would love to see that. But if it doesn't happen, I'm a fan of basketball and I'll watch every single game who's who's playing. And I can only dream that my Knicks will be back there one day. <laughs> I'm with you on your take. Maybe not so much the Knicks part. part <laughs> Knicks Pacers. There you know, we, we go. Let's, we got to bring let's... back the 90s where the Pacers kept beating us in the playoffs because Reggie Miller just couldn't miss a three pointer. You know, oh, God, it was just ridiculous. Oh, those are the glory days. I will Darren, tell you, though, Brett, like yeah. that trip when I came to Indy. We went to a Pacers game one night. I, unfortunately, I wasn't get a chance to go with you. Maybe one day we will. But I went yeah. with some colleagues that were in town. That stadium was beautiful. Like, absolutely. You you walk in and you just basically see the court at like street level. And it was super clean. Absolutely magnificent internally. Like, I would, the, the Pacers, I don't know. I'm blanking on the name of, of the stadium. It's Gamebridge. It was changed from Banker's Life. Yeah. it's Gamebridge was just absolutely magnificent as a stadium wasn't too big super clean super easy to get to right in downtown it was kind of amazing I, I was really impressed with it i feel very fortunate i can i can walk there to see a game uh, i can walk to lucas oil and see a game yes that you we have to have a shrine downtown for basketball because in 49 other states darren it's just basketball indiana it's a little different here i appreciate you coming on sharing your perspective. Everyone go check him out. Midlife crisis cards. This won't be the last time. Thanks so much, Darren. Thank you, Brett. Really. Thank you. Yes, sir. So much good content there. So much good perspective from Darren. He is a guy that I really enjoy chatting with. Appreciate where he's coming from. Appreciate his analysis and what he has to say. Go follow at midlife crisis cards for more. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Stacking Slabs next week. 